With that, please make sure you have your Bibles in hand as we dive into God's Word together. In just a few moments, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, in just a few minutes. In the mid-1890s, there were some whalers in the coastal taverns of Great Britain who began to spread the biggest whale of a tale that anyone had ever heard. It was the biggest fish story that anyone had ever heard. They began to share an incident that had happened, according to them, in the year 1891. They were aboard one of their whaling vessels, and they were searching for whales off the uh, eastern coast of South America. And as they were on their vessel, one of the newbies fell overboard. His name was James Bartley. James Bartley was an apprentice. It was his first voyage on a whaling vessel. He fell overboard and disappeared below the surface of the water. And they searched for James Bartley for hours, but couldn't find a trace of him anywhere. Well, the next morning as the sun came up, they noticed that the whale they had been hunting the day before, a humpback whale, was floating on the surface dead, just maybe a 100 yards or so from their boat. So they went over to that whale, they hooked up the chain and began to tow it back to the ship. But they noticed something strange. The abdomen of that whale was moving kind of erratically, as if something alive was inside that whale. And so they pulled out a knife, they sliced open the stomach of that whale, and out came James Bartley. Now, he wasn't himself. He'd been inside that whale's belly for 18 hours. His skin was bleached white. He was talking deliriously. He couldn't speak a single intelligible sentence, and he was almost completely blind. But several weeks later, he mostly bounced back to his normal state of health. And so in the taverns around Great Britain, this story began to be told by these sailors. Newspapers picked up on that in New England and also there in Great Britain. And over the next 20 years, various newspapers published different accounts of this story of James Bartley. And so everyone thought that this was probably a true story, but there was a historian that was a little bit skeptical. His name was Edward Davis, and in the early part of the 20th century, he investigated all the articles and all the eyewitness accounts, and he was finding some irregularities in the accounts of, of this supposed swallowing by a whale. And then in the midst of his investigation, he got a letter out of the blue from James Bartley's wife, who claimed that the whole story was made up. She said it was a hoax. She said she was on the ship with Bartley, and that never happened. So, was James Bartley swallowed by a sperm whale in 1891? In all likelihood, no, he wasn't. But the Bible tells us in the final verse of Jonah chapter 1 that Jonah was. Jesus even reiterates that in the New Testament, that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. The Old Testament story of Jonah is one of the best-known stories in the Bible, but as we saw last Sunday, uh, the book of Jonah is pro not primarily a story about a big fish who swallowed a man. It's not primarily a story about the city of Nineveh that repented of its sin and was spared by God. It's not even primarily a story about Jonah himself. As we saw last week, the story of Jonah 
is first and foremost the story about a loving and merciful God who cares deeply for the souls of every person on earth, including you. Isn't that good news? Including you. In Jonah chapter 1, God commanded his prophet Jonah to leave the northern kingdom of Israel and travel 500 miles to the Assyrian city of Nineveh and preach God's message to the people who lived there. And how did Jonah respond? You probably remember, instead of traveling 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, he traveled the opposite direction. He took off. He ran from God due west. He boarded a ship and was headed 2,500 miles to the west to the furthest point on earth that he knew about, the city of Tarshish in modern-day Spain. And God wasn't going to stand for that. According to verse 4 of chapter 1, God sent a great wind and a violent storm that threatened to tear the ship to pieces. So after Jonah confessed uh, that the storm was, was his fault, the sailors reluctantly threw him overboard. And chapter 1 ends with this amazing verse. Look at it for yourself in your Bibles. That final verse of chapter 1. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So today we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Jonah. We're calling this study Jonah Running to God. Well, here are a couple important things to keep in mind as we have that final verse of chapter 1 on our minds. Before we dive into chapter 2, I don't want you to miss these two very important points. Uh, Number 1, the Hebrew word translated fish in chapters 1 and 2 is a very broad word. Remember that Israel was inland as a nation. Israel wasn't filled with a seafaring people. And so the Hebrew language didn't have a large variety of words for sea life. For example, in the Hebrew language, the ancient Hebrew language, there weren't different words for whale and dolphin and shark. There was really only one word, fish. And you could describe a fish as a big fish, a small fish, or a medium-sized fish, but you just had that word to work with. It was a fish. So when we read in that final verse of chapter 1 and then again in chapter 2 that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, there's no way from those verses that we can know for sure if it was more of a shark that had gills or a whale that was a marine mammal. There's no way to know for sure from Jonah chapters 1 and 2. The second thing I want you to keep in mind is that in ancient Israel, the phrase three days and three nights didn't usually mean 72 hours. In the English language, when we say three days and three nights, we mean three whole days and three whole nights. It's a 72-hour period, but that's not the way it worked in the Hebrew language in ancient Israel. You see, when they said three days and three nights, it included one full day in the middle, day and night, and then partial days on opposite sides. So on the front end, it had to be part of a day, on the back end, part of a day, and then a full day and night in the middle. So when it says here that Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, it could very well have been a 72-hour period, but it could just as easily have been a 36-hour period. 24 hours in the middle, six hours on day one, six hours on day three, voila, total of 36 hours. So we don't know for sure exactly how long he was inside that fish, 
but it was likely between a day and a half and three days. Now, Bible skeptics have cast doubt on the book of Jonah more than just about any other book in the Bible. How on earth could a a fish or a whale swallow a man whole? And, and, And assuming there was a fish or a whale large enough to swallow a man whole, how on earth could a man possibly survive inside that great fish's stomach for several days? You know, it just seems ludicrous. Well, these are some great questions, so let's open God's Word together and answer these questions. Over the years, Christians have pointed out four different fish and whale species that could conceivably swallow a man whole. Let me quickly share those with you. I'm going to share with you a couple sharks that have been suggested and a couple whales that have been suggested, each that could conceivably swallow a man whole. Let's start with the sharks because, hey, sharks are a lot of fun, right? Shark option number one is the great white shark. I don't need to say much about this picture, right? The man shows the links that some people go to 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 make a selfie, right? And so that man shows right there that conceivably you could fit inside the mouth of a great white shark, assuming you can safely get past the teeth, right? (laughs) So the great white shark is an option. It's not a great option, but it's an option. Option number two, a second kind of shark that's a better option. This is called the whale shark. Notice the size difference between the scuba diver and the whale shark. The whale shark is huge. It's about twice as long as the great white shark. They can be 46 feet long. That's a long shark. That's longer than a school bus. And one of the advantages of being swallowed by a shark is they actually have a very low metabolism, which means they digest their food very, very slowly. So some Bible scholars say, hey, I I think it might have been a whale shark. Well, those are the shark options. Most of us think it was more likely a whale. Let me give you a couple options. Whale option number one is the sperm whale. Notice the size of that scuba diver and swimmer in comparison to that sperm whale. The sperm whale is huge. You'll notice in the bottom right-hand corner the size of an elephant, full-grown elephant compared to a sperm whale. And so this is a huge whale. They can grow to be 70 feet long. That's about three times the length of a great white shark. Its mouth is large. Its esophagus can be around 20 inches wide, so it's plenty wide enough to swallow a man whole. So if a sperm whale had a notion to swallow a man whole, it could certainly do it. The final option that a lot of people like is the blue whale. Look at the size of a blue whale compared to a DC-10 commercial airliner. The blue whale, many biologists and marine biologists believe, is the largest animal that has ever existed on planet Earth. Blue whales are huge. They can grow to be over 100 feet long. And and so these things are absolutely huge. You see three school buses it takes end-to-end to be as long as a blue whale. It takes some six full-grown African elephants to be as long as a blue whale. This is a huge mammal. Now, there's one problem with the blue whale. Its mouth is plenty big to swallow a man, but its esophagus typically is only about four inches wide because blue whale eat krill, one of the smallest little creatures in the ocean. And so they don't need big esophaguses. So four inches wide, eh, typical blue whale's a little bit, you know, too small with the esophagus to swallow a man whole. But anyway, those are four options. All that to say 
there are a few sharks and a few whales alive today that could conceivably swallow a man whole. The tricky part is staying alive inside that fish's belly for any period of time beyond a couple, three minutes because there's hardly any oxygen down there in the stomach, right? And at the same time, you're being digested by those digestive fluids. So the tricky part isn't so much being swallowed by the fish or whale, but actually staying alive inside of it. And so what do we do with that? Well, Bible skeptics read the book of Jonah and say, impossible. It couldn't ever happen. No way, no how. But followers of Christ look at Jonah 1 verse 17 and they say, no problem. Could Jonah be swallowed by a whale or a large fish? Absolutely. Because my Bible tells me in Luke chapter 1 verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. You remember the context of that verse? That is spoken by the angel as Mary is being told that she as a virgin will give birth to Jesus Christ. How is that possible for a virgin to become pregnant without ever having any sexual intercourse, without ever having any artificial insemination? It's possible because nothing is impossible with God. Look again at the wording in Jonah 1 verse 17. It says, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I don't want you to miss that word provided. He provided the great fish. You see it? God provided it. God custom designed a fish just for Jonah. He, he tricked it out just for Jonah. Now, he didn't put hydraulics on it and cool subwoofers in back, but he tricked it out just the same, just for Jonah. And so if it was a blue whale, God maybe custom made a larger than average esophagus on that blue whale so it could comfortably swallow Jonah whole. Uh, whatever fish or, or shark or whale it was, God made sure that there were pockets of oxygen inside that stomach so that Jonah could breathe during that whole time that he was there. God must have slowed down the digestive juices inside that creature's stomach so that Jonah wouldn't be digested during that time he was inside that fish's belly. Whatever it was that God did, that was a fish or a whale that was provided specifically for that occasion to swallow Jonah. So if you ask me, Dane, do you really believe that Jonah was inside a big fish for two or three days? My answer to you is absolutely I believe it. I believe in a God who created every single creature on earth in just two days. So for him to provide a custom-made fish or shark or whale to swallow Jonah whole and allow him to stay alive inside its belly for two or three days, no problem for the God of creation. Piece of cake, right? I absolutely believe that this is a literal story, a true story of what happened to Jonah. Our God is great and powerful. He specializes in the impossible. So absolutely, I believe the book of Jonah tells a factual story of Jonah. I absolutely believe that he was swallowed by a great fish. Now, let's dive into chapter 2. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God. In chapter 2, we'll see that Jonah runs to God. These are very simple uh, outlines from the first two chapters. Chapter 1, he runs from God. Chapter 2, he runs to God. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. 
starting in verse 1. Make sure you're there in your Bibles. It's about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. God's Word reads, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Due uh, to the roots of the mountaintops, I sank deep should say, to the roots of the mountains I sank deep. The earth beneath me uh, was, was barred, me, barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Amen. So, verse 1 is a game changer. It really is. After spending the whole first chapter running from God, Jonah begins to finally come to his senses and cries out to God in prayer. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And as we read Jonah's prayer in verses 2 through 9, we notice that it's more of a testimony. As Jonah is praying to God from inside the stomach of the great fish, he recounts what had taken place over the past day or two. It's clear that Jonah didn't wait until he was being digested to start praying. It seems very clear that he started praying as soon as he started sinking below the surface of the ocean. seems clear he started praying to God. Uh, Notice what it says. He was sinking down. He was sinking down there below the surface of the water. Now, I want to point out to you this very significant little word that is repeated in chapters 1 and 2. It is that little four-letter word, down. You find that word repeated several times, and there's a reason for that. In chapter 1, when Jonah made his decision to run away from the Lord, we read in chapter 1, verse 3, that Jonah went down to Joppa, where he found a ship headed west to Tarshish. And according to chapter 1, verse 5, after boarding the ship, Jonah went down below deck, where he went down for a nap, right? And then over in chapter 2, verse 6, we read that after Jonah was tossed overboard, he sank down into the depths of the ocean. So with the repetition of this word down in mind, Bible teacher Warren Wearsby says this. I think this is really insightful. He writes, When you turn your back on God, the only direction you can go is down. Do you agree with that? When you turn your back on God, the only direction you can go is down. For a whole chapter, Jonah was rebelling against God's marching orders. And in his rebellion, he was going nowhere fast, right? He was going nowhere but down. In desperation, he looked up and called out to God. He cried out to God. And what did God do? Did God say, forget you, Jonah. I want nothing to do with you. 
You turned your back on me. You disobeyed me. And so you're just fish food to me. You just sit there and rot and get digested in that fish's belly. Is that what God said to him? Not at all. Thankfully, God instead, according to verse 2, as Jonah is praying in verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And what did God do? Jonah says, God answered me. He goes on and says, From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And what did God do? He says, God listened to my prayer. According to verse 3, the current swirled around Jonah and the waves and breakers engulfed him. According to verse 5, the deep waters surrounded him and seaweed was wrapped around his head. That's a powerful visual, isn't it? I imagine the whole scene kind of like this. He's thrown overboard and he's trying to tread water as best he can, but the waves are crashing and the storm is raging and the water is just pelting him in the top of the head. And so he's trying to tread water, but finally in exhaustion he begins to sink. Seaweed wraps around his head. He's sinking. And I imagine this in slow motion. He's sinking and he's looking up toward the surface of the water, but the light is fading. And fading and fading as he sinks further and further down. And his lungs began to ache because he doesn't have any oxygen. And his lungs hurt more and more and more. And he knows at any split second he's going to black out. He's a goner. He's a dead man. And then in the nick of time, God sends that great fish to swallow Jonah. And for the first time, maybe in several minutes, he's able to breathe in a full breath of oxygen, and his life is sustained. Well, God is such an awesome provider. That fish was not so much judgment for Jonah as it was deliverance. That great fish was salvation for Jonah because he was on the brink of death as he sunk below the surface of the waters. God is a great God of compassion and mercy and love. And His compassion, mercy, and love break through here in Jonah chapter 2. With seaweed wrapped around his head like a grave cloth, Jonah sank deep into his watery tomb, but God lifted him back up to life. Jonah on his own was going nowhere but down, but when he turned to God, God lifted him up. Amen? God lifted him up. God provided a great fish and instructed the fish to swallow Jonah and And we all know what happened next. Unlike Jonah, the fish actually obeyed God's instructions. Isn't that terrible when a fish obeys God more quickly than we do? That's what happened to Jonah. The fish was obedient and did exactly what God told it to do. That word provided, I love. God provided a great fish. Once again, that's in the final verse of chapter 1. And I was thinking uh, earlier today about that word provided. That's actually one of God's names is our provider. Uh, it's pronounced Yahweh Yireh. Oftentimes it's pronounced Jehovah Jireh. That means God is my provider. The Lord is my provider. And he showed himself to be our great provider by providing this fish that Jonah needed at his greatest point of need. And no doubt there inside the whale's stomach, 
Much drama unfolded over the next two to three days. Uh, we're not told most of the details, but our minds start to wander and you know, wander in, in curiosity. We kind of uh, wonder how Jonah lived in that stomach for several days. We want to know, did he drink some of the water that was inside that fish's stomach? Did he eat some of the partially digested food that was sitting in that stomach with him? Did God provide some of that bioluminescent uh, krill or squid that could give him a little bit of light inside that stomach so it wasn't pitch dark. Uh, we kind of wonder if he had one side of the stomach set aside as his latrine and the other side was a little bit cleaner. You know, we have all these questions and the Bible doesn't tell us the answers to all those specifics, but we can ask God one day in heaven. Amen. We don't have all those answers, but as interesting as it is to speculate about the drama that took place inside that whale's stomach, we must not miss the more important drama that took place within Jonah himself. In chapter 1, once again, he ran from God. And here in chapter 2, the most important takeaway is Jonah finally came to his senses and ran to God. And as he ran to God, there are two very powerful words in verses 8 and 9 that I don't want you to miss. The words grace and salvation. Say them with me. Grace and and salvation. Let's look at grace first. Jonah is praying to God from inside the belly of the great fish. He says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This is such a great verse. As a prophet of God, Jonah thought he had a good handle on God's grace. But after having seaweed wrapped around his head and sitting inside a great fish's tummy for two or three days, he had a brand new understanding of the grace of God. He didn't understand the half of it before he was swallowed by that great fish. He understood God's grace better than ever. The word grace that Jonah uses here in verse 8 is a translation of one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It's a translation of the Hebrew word chesed. There's this harsh H sound uh, at the start of this word in Hebrew. Chesed is a beautiful word that here in the older version of the NIV translation is translated as grace. But it can be translated a few different ways. It's not just about grace. For example, the newer NIV that came out in 2011 translates the verse this way. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. For them. So chesed doesn't just mean grace, it also means perfect love. Uh, the New Living Translation translates the verse this way, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. So chesed also refers to the mercy of God, and then the ESV translation translates those last couple words as steadfast love. So think about those various translations of this word chesed. It means grace it means mercy. It means uh, steadfast love. It refers to God's pure and perfect love. Chances are some of us in this room today are running from God in one way or another. If you are, believe what Jonah is saying here. You are forfeiting God's grace and mercy and steadfast love that could be yours. The second key word I want to draw your attention to is in verse 9. It's the word salvation. As Jonah ran to God here in chapter 2, he ran to God's grace, but it's clear from verse 9, he also ran to God's salvation. 
As Jonah is praying to God from inside the belly of the great fish, he says in verse 9, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Say that last statement with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let me share something with you that I hope will knock your socks off. Guess what this word salvation is in the Hebrew. You ready for this? It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. Yeshua, which translated into English is Jesus. Amen? Jesus is salvation. It's right there in the Old Testament. Jesus, Yeshua, is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Well, I want to leave you with three very important questions that I'd like to ask you as we reflect on this study of Jonah chapter 2. And I want you to be serious asking yourself these questions and answering them honestly. Question number one, are you running from God or running to God? Are you more like Jonah in chapter one or more like Jonah in chapter two? Jonah reminds us that running from God is pointless. It only brings us hardship and disappointment. I like how the 19th century theologian and preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. He said it this way, God never allows his children to sin successfully. Isn't that true? God gives you free will. He gives you the option. He gives you the choice to sin if you want to, but he never allows his children to sin successfully. If you want to run from God and ignore God's commands and pursue other priorities, you can do that. He'll let you do that. God gives you that choice, but it'll cost you. It'll cost you. It's a whole lot harder when you're running from God than it is when you're running to God. Jonah quickly discovered when he was running from God, his life was just going down, down, down. He was heading nowhere fast. And he discovered that as he looked up and turned to God, his life still was hard, but became so much better. When he repented and reached out to God in faith and obedience, God immediately began to bring him back up. And God will do the same for you. So question number one, are you running from God or are you running to God? Question number two, are you forfeiting the grace that could be yours? Remember that from verse eight? Jonah makes it clear that those who put other priorities ahead of God, the way he puts it, those who worship idols, but that's another way to say it, those who put other priorities ahead of God forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So let me ask you, are you forfeiting the grace that could be yours. God's grace is available to you today just as it was available to you yesterday, but God's grace is not guaranteed to be available to you tomorrow because you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow. God's grace is available today. It was available to you yesterday, and many of us pushed it aside yesterday, and so this may be for some of us our last chance because it is available today. Wouldn't it be a shame if you permanently forfeited the grace that could be yours. Jonah says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In other words, if you continue to put other priorities ahead of God, if you continue to keep God on the back burner and push Him aside and push Jesus Christ aside, 
one day it's going to be too late. And you will discover that you forfeited the grace that was ready and available for you to take hold of. Please, don't forfeit the grace that could be yours today. Finally, question number three. Are you making good on the vows you have made to God? I know that some of us today look back and we know there was a point in our life when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. We became a Christian. We said a prayer asking God to forgive our sins, asking Jesus Christ to come into our life. Many of us were obedient by being baptized to make it clear to God and the world we're serious about following Jesus from this point forward. Some of us know we made vows to God. We made promises to follow Christ. And we have reneged on those promises and those vows. We've turned our backs on God. We've pushed Jesus Christ aside. And we've lived life on our own terms and done our own thing. And I want to ask you today, are you going to make good on the vows that you have made to God? As a prophet, Jonah had made a certain promise to God. He promised to go where God called him to go, to say what God called him to say and do what God called him to do. And in Jonah chapter 1, he pushed all of that aside and reneged on those vows he had made. Many of us have done the same. Jonah finally came to his senses there in the belly of that great fish. And I don't think that God's going to cause a great fish to swallow you to cause you to come to your senses. It'll be maybe a, a little less messy as he comes to you. But it's still the same important question that Jonah had to ask. Have I reneged on my vows to God? And am I ready to hold true to those promises I made to Him long ago? God said, okay, as soon as Jonah repented and said, God, I'm ready to obey You and I'm ready to carry out those promises I made, God immediately brought deliverance. And notice at the end of chapter 2, that great whale, that great fish, vomits Jonah onto dry land. God was going to give Jonah a second chance. Well, if you've made commitments to God in the past and haven't kept them, I hope and pray that that will change today. It's time to make good on the promises that you've made to God. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for having mercy. Jonah must have been inside that whale's belly and initially thought that this was judgment. But then he began to realize that it was mercy. Lord, some of us are going through some pain and suffering and it it feels like judgment. But as we look at it from a different angle, it's actually mercy. It's actually grace. Lord, I pray that for those of us who have put you on the back burner and reneged on our promises to you, Lord, that we would make right what we've made wrong. That we would keep those vows we made to you long ago and get back on the straight and narrow to prioritize you every day, to prioritize church once again because you say that it is the bride of Christ. And Lord, help us to follow you better than ever before. And for those, O Lord, who have never made that commitment to follow you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would begin following you today, realizing that grace is available to them today. I pray, O God, that none of us would forfeit the grace that could be ours. I pray that none of us would be running from you but that all of us today, O God, would run to you 
In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Impact, we like to share the ABCs of getting right with God. The ABCs of putting Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. A, admit that you are a sinner and you need the Savior. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and He's your only way to have a relationship with your Creator God. And C, choose to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord beginning today. Savior, that calls to mind that He is the only one that can save you from your sins. And Lord, that means He's the boss. He's your master. He's in the driver's seat of your life. You don't have Him riding shotgun. You're riding shotgun. He's in the driver's seat of your life. He sets your priorities. He says, go, you go. He says, stop, you stop. He is your leader, your boss, your master, your Lord. If you're ready to make that decision, to admit that you need Jesus, to believe in Him today and choose to follow Him, I want to invite you to join me in saying this prayer right now. And you can just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would have mercy on me. I admit that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that I cannot go to heaven without your mercy. And today I choose to begin following you as my Savior and as my Lord. Help me to turn from my sin and follow you from this day forward until you call me home to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I sure hope you prayed that prayer with me. If if you've never done that before, and there's one other very important thing you don't want to miss. Whenever we read in the New Testament that someone gave their life to Jesus Christ, they were immediately baptized because that was a very powerful symbolism saying, my old life is buried and my new life is raised up from the water. That water doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But Jesus says we need to be baptized to make it clear that our old life is buried and we're starting a brand new life of following Him with Him in charge. Don't drag your feet. If you've made the decision to follow Christ, reach out to one of our prayer counselors right now And we'd love to set up a time as soon as possible for you to get baptized in obedience to Christ's command. Oh, well, God bless you. Whether you've served the Lord in the past and have kind of put Him on the back burner, or whether you've decided to make a first-time decision for Jesus Christ, I urge you, don't renege on the promises you've made. Don't put Him on the back burner. You follow Him like never before. You run to God, not away from God. You make sure you don't forfeit the grace that could be yours today. And you make sure that you follow Jesus Christ with everything you've got. God bless you as you serve and follow the Lord this week. Share this broadcast with others. And we'll see you back next Sunday for a brand new service right here online at 10 a.m. on Sunday or in person at our George Boulevard facility at 9 a.m. God bless you as you serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.